Hello everyone and welcome back to the Football Circuit Podcast. My name is Thomas Durning and today I'm joined by my co-host Pierce McLaughlin. Hello Pierce. Hello, how are you doing? Doing well. On today's podcast we'll be discussing all the latest international football news which includes um, Scotland's two matches uh, and we'll discuss all the latest English Premier League news and also the latest Scottish Premier League news. So we'll start off uh, obviously, we have International Week, so um, we'll discuss the two Scotland games. So, Scotland played Georgia um, last Friday, and the score finished 2-2. Um, so, you know, um, th- this this camp for Scotland, it was um, relaxed, we could say, because Scotland kind of already qualified um, for the Euros next, next year. So, Pierce, what did you think about that match? Uh, the Scott, uh, Georgia versus Scotland match, uh, the fact that it finished 2 2. Well, I, th- I thought um, it was a decent result, um, considering um, we went behind twice. And uh, oh, you cannot deny the talent that is uh, Kavichka Kavarskalia from Napoli, the Georgian winger. I thought he was sensational, and the two goals were just moments of pure quality that you just cannot stop. Um, and obviously, you touched on it last week in the preview that. There's a number of key injuries from the Scotland side, including number one, Angus Gunn, uh, Kieran Tierney, Andy Robertson. So it was a, a backline that wasn't um, being played a lot together because you'd obviously Greg Taylor um, playing at left-back as well. You Darren Hickey, who wasn't in the squad as well. So our defence was a bit weaker and obviously you had, um, I think, like, uh, Jacob Brown in, in, in the squad as well. Uh, getting his first cap. Um, but the late winner, not late winner, but it felt like a late winner from Lawrence Shankland. Um, that was his first goal, I think it was three years for Scotland. Um, that'll do his world. World of confidence are good because I think like he is a player on the fringes, but I think he's like one of the more natural goal scorers that Scotland have at their disposal. Um, and obviously I think like players like Jacob Brown have proved that they just aren't at this level or they're just not prolific enough because I think she Adams and Lyndon Dykes offer you something different like hold up play they can get or assist and bring others into play whereas I think Shanklin is similar to like back in the day when you had like someone like Ali Griffiths just a natural goal scorer or like Kenny Miller you just, you just know that they know where to find the back of the net if, you, if you've given them the right service um, and obviously obviously Scott McTominay picking up another goal, which is sensational for him. I think he equaled the tally of um, most goals in a qualifying campaign uh, with John McGinn, and um, I think that is a, f- a phenomenal achievement. Uh, but I thought it was a great great result, considering uh, that number of absentees we had. Yeah, um, I'd agree. You know, uh, kind of going away from home, especially to a place like Georgia, which is quite far away, um, you know, to come out of that game with a 2-2 draw is... As a positive result, um, you know, as you said there, that Scotland faced a lot of key absentees in the match, including their first choice keeper, um, and Kieran Tierney and Andy Robson, who are probably two of Scotland's most influential players. Um, so to come out of that game with a two-two draw, uh, is, is really positive. That's also the first ever draw or even point that Scotland have picked up against Georgia away from home. And over the years, they've, they've always lost it when they went away to Georgia. So that's kind of that's kind of also a little plus as well. Um, but yeah, no, it was um, 
it was good to see Lawrence Shankland get that uh, kind of last minute goal as well. Um, you know, and the fact that Scotland kind of um came through that match without getting defeated, um, considering they didn't have a lot of their key players, you know, I think Steve Clark would be pretty happy about it. Um, you know, and although they didn't win the match, uh, I think they'll be they'll be he'll be pretty pleased with um the kind of the kind of result and you know uh Scalia, I think I think I've said his name right, but he was obviously the the key the key man of the night. You know, he was you know he scored two pretty good goals as well. Um, so yeah, uh, a pretty positive result, and I think Steve Clark would take a lot out of it. Um, so uh, after the first team match against Georgia. Um, Scotland played on Sunday, three days later. Um, so Scotland played uh, at home against Norway. So Scotland, this was um, the last match of the, the Euro uh, 2024 group stage campaign. Um, so that match was pretty entertaining. So it finished 3-3 uh, on the night. Um, so again, Pierce, what was your thoughts on that match? Again, it was pretty similar to the Georgia game. There was just... Just go, just drama at both ends of the pitch. Um, and you can only imagine what the drama would have been if Erling Haaland was fit. Um, as a Scotland fan, you kind of, you kind of don't want him involved, and thankfully he wasn't. Um, but again, I think Xander Clark has proven that he's not good enough to play for Scotland, in my opinion. Um, there was a few kind of shots he probably should have saved or done a bit better with. I'm um, looking at the second goal. Um, where he somehow just he fumbles over the line, he gets a big strong hand to it. Um, and then the third one, he just misjudges the cross, and El Unusi gets the cause right at the death. Um, but the positive note, I thought, it was some brilliant goals and show um from both sides. Um, and it was a high intensity. There was, and obviously the fact is it was another positive result. It's a draw against Norway, who is Norway has a great side to be honest. Um, because it's a major talking point that they're not even going to be at the Euros because of the talent that they have on offer. Um, again, to finish the campaign in this 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 specific camp unbeaten is a positive note for Steve Clark. Um, regardless if you think Scotland should have won both games, we're, we're not a, a major super side. Like we're going to like win every game. You cannot get carried away. You need. And you have challenges like as you've seen with injuries, like to have the key injuries that we had and still get two positive results, um, is a as a fitting way to send off. Um, because the fact is we've booked that place already in Germany. And mentally, sometimes when you've already you've already sealed a title or you've already booked a place at a major tournament, sometimes that that intensity just isn't there to go up and go again. Um so credit to the players to uh, bounce back with two positive results against uh uh, two quality oppositions. Yeah. Um. Again, as you just said, it was kind of a similar match, kind of um a very entertaining match. The the, the Scotland Norway match, you know, was really intent. Um. You know, as obviously lots of goals concerned finished for each. Uh, I think the goals that Scotland conceded were were really disappointing. Um. You know, I think Steve Clark, especially with the first half, he really wasn't happy at all. I think he even came out early. Um, just I don't think his team talk at half time was was very long. I think it was pretty short. Um, so I think kind of, that kind of said the kind of mood he was in. Um, but um, yeah. So the goals that Scotland conceded were disappointing. But 
at the end of the day, it was another draw. You know, they didn't they didn't uh, lose the match, which um, you know, it's a positive. And you know, it would have been nice to see Scotland um in the last match at Hampden Park for the um in this Euro campaign. It would have been nice to see them win the match. Um, but you know, a draw is not the end of the world, and you know, the scenes at the end were quite good when the 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 players kind of walked around the pitch, um, because I think they do, they really do deserve praise and recognition because you know of the of the achievement. Because I mean, me and you are not used to watching Scotland in the last match of the, the qualifying campaign, and we're already, you know, at the major tournament. You know, it's it's something that's that's you know it's very rare to see. So. Um, you know, in that respect, it was quite weird. A, a kind of weird atmosphere I felt as well in terms of the fans, because it was just you know, um, I don't think really anyone was kind of used to the fact that this was happening. So, uh, yeah, but in terms of the match, you know, uh, entertaining, but you know, Steve Steve Clark will think that this thing's to improve, especially um defensively. Uh, so I just obviously now just quickly round off, um in terms of Scotland in this qualifying campaign. So they did finish second uh, in this campaign. So um, they played eight matches, they won five, um, they drew two matches and they, they lost one. So they finished with 17 points and Spain finished first and they finished with 21 points. Uh, so I just just want your overall thoughts, Piers, about this campaign overall, now that it's come to a close. Have you, have you enjoyed it or what do you think? Well, I've, I've certainly enjoyed it. I think there's been some memorable victories. I think you think uh, the Hamden Spain result, uh, two nothing, and then the two one uh, victory in Oslo. They've got the highlights of the campaign. Um, but I think the fact is that in the first five games we had five wins. Um, we only could see the one goal, and that was a penalty to Ellie Holland. So I think that was the positive. And then you obviously had that difficulty when you're going to go away to Spain which is the toughest test in the group. And at that time, Spain um, were starting to get momentum and I, I just seen the top of the group in the end. But um, I think the highlights for me were the two massive results against two big European sides. Um, but for me, like you, you touched on it a wee bit earlier there, um, it's unheard of that Scotland have automatically qualified from a group. Usually you have to go through playoff rounds and you get tough ties and you don't quite make it. But to do it through the groups, but I think we've seen the jubilation uh, when we when we qualify for Euro twenty twenty through via the playoffs and a penalty shoot in the final. It was it was scenes that we, we were partying for days. Um so I think Scotland again get looking forward to Germany and I think we will I think we'll do really well and I think um the future looks bright under Steve Clark and um it's just positive for Scotland all around. Yeah, uh, I'd agree, you know, it's been the most memorable campaign. And marking a time of, you know, following Scotland, uh, it's just been, it's been such a memorable campaign. You know, uh, two the, the two big results were obviously, um, Scotland beating Spain two 0 at Hampden Park, and obviously that, um, two one victory against Norway in Oslo, um, you know, just uh, there's just been so many great things about this campaign. The mentality, the late comeback against Norway, you know the. The two goals Scott McTommy scored against Scotland, uh, sorry, against Spain. Um, you know, and they've, they've deserved it. They, I mean, they've they've shown that, you know, um, they've only been defeated once in this campaign. So 
at the end of the day, you deserve, if you've only been beaten once, you kind of do deserve to go to the Euros. Um, you know, uh, it's just been, it's just been brilliant. It really has. And you were just you were touching on there about the fact that Scotland got to the last Euros when they beat Serbia on penalties. I actually think that kind of night. You know, I I don't think if I think if Scotland got beat on that night, I don't I'm not sure if they would have qualified, um, you know, automatically, uh, through this uh, campaign that we've been in just now. I just think that the mentality since that match has grown so much, and um, you know, and you know, you know, and and you know, it's, it, it, at the end of the day, they just they just deserve it. They really do. It's been it's been really really good, um. So yeah, we now we've got the Euros to look forward to. So um, we'll, I mean, quite a long while to go till that. So we'll 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 discuss it more, um, in the kind of months to come in terms of the squad selection, and obviously when the the first match comes, which um I can't wait for anyway, even though it's such a long way away. Um, so just kind of rounding off the international week, um, so just briefly, I just wanted to touch on um. You know, Germany, you know, they got defeated last night by Austria 2-0. Um, and I read something that they've only won two games out of the last 10. Now, Germany in 2014 won a World Cup. You know, they're, they're multiple World Cup winners. You know, they're a very, very top nation, but they just don't seem to be clicking at the moment. That Something just seems to be wrong. What do you think, Piers? I, I just don't know. Um... I think like there's some boat for me to Italy. I don't think they've mm-hmm. that many world class players at their disposal. I think they've got a a couple of good young talents. Like you look at Florian Wurtz, for example, and um, Leroy Sane, but even then he flatters to deceive at times. And I think the back line for Germany is a weakness. Um, defensively, I think they give away too many goals or too many opportunities. And the fact is that Max Hummels is still getting a game for Germany. Um, and he was part of the 2014 side when he was when he was at the top of his game. Um, I think that speaks volumes. They do have world class goalkeepers in Trap, Terstegen, and Manuel Neuer, so they're sorted in that disposal. But I think for me, it's the it's the central defence and the fullbacks that are a bit of a weakness because when you have to play, let's be honest, Kai Havertz probably one of the flops of the season who's a forward-thinking player, you play him at left-back, you're asking for trouble. Um, in, in Austria, are no mugs. Um, so I think Nagelsmann is clutch at straws at the moment. He's also new in charge, but he doesn't know his best of living, and he's trying to tinker with formations and tactics. Um, they don't have a, a world-class number nine as well from years gone by with Miroslav Klose, um, Mario Gomez, to name a few. I think they're relying heavily on... Um, Fulkrug, who has a decent Bundesliga striker, but he's not an elite level striker. He's a target man who's like, he only just got moved to Dortmund, and obviously last season he's playing in the Bundes uh, for Werder Bremen, where he had his best ever season. So he's not a reliable goal scorer in that aspect. So I think it's it's worrying signs if you if you're German if you're a German fan because I do think obviously they're the host nation, but I I just don't think. There'll be a challenger for the um, the Euros. Yeah, um, there just seems to be a lot of issues at Germany at the moment. You know, 
Uh, the last two World Cup campaigns have not went well at all. You know, in 2018, they went out the group stage. And uh, I think it was the same in 2022 as well. Um, so, you know, there just seems to be so many issues at the moment. You know, Hansi Flick, who was the previous manager for Germany, you know, it just never worked for him. You know, he just couldn't get a rhythm or any positive results really for Germany. And Nagelsmann's come in and there just doesn't seem to be any change, to be honest, as well. Um, you know, the reason I asked the question as well was because Germany are hosting the Euros next summer. So, you know, the fact that they're hosting the, host the Euros, they'll want to have a really, really good tournament um, in front of their home fans uh, in, their, in their own country. But as you said, decisions like Kai Havertz playing at left-back, you know, they kind of do. I'm not sure about that. I don't really know. I don't understand that. Um, but it's just going forward, I think Germany are pretty decent. You know, I think they've got some good, really good midfielders. You know, but I think it's defensively that they really are struggling. I don't think they're really blessed with a lot of fullbacks. Um, Germany, you know, I think that's quite a big problem for them. They're always playing centre backs or midfielders in the right back, left back positions. So that's quite a um quite a big problem for them. I mean, it's quite a long way away from having fullbacks such as Philip Lamb. You know, I think they'd they'd do anything to have him back at the moment. Um. So that no, there really is big issues um, at the moment for Germany, and they're going to have to fix it f fast because before they know it, the 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 Euros will have started, and they'll want to go into that with you know some positive results in the previous matches that they've had. Um. Yeah. So, uh, we'll now move on to um the latest news from the English Premier League. You know, there's no results to talk about because it's been international week, but the big big news is um, from Everton. So on the 17th of November, uh, Everton received an immediate 10-point deduction after being found to have breached the Premier League financial rules. So um, this is the biggest punishment in the history of the Premier League and it now leaves Everton um, in 19th place, so they're now back in the relegation zone and you know they did have a pretty good positive start to the season. They were comfortably sitting mid-table. Um, so, can I just a bit, a bit more detail? Um, so, English top flight clubs in the Premier League are permitted to lose £105 million over three years. Um, but an independent commission uh, found that Everton's losses from 2021-22 season amounted to £124.5 million. So, uh, their losses were way above the only £105 million. So, what do you think, Pierce? I think if you broke the rules, you broke the rules. There's the, the laws are there for a reason. Although you'd probably suggest it's only just over um, the threshold. But um, as we know, Everton have kind of paid over the odds for a lot of players in terms of wages and um, transfer fees. So I think it's the, their own wrongdoing. And um, I think a lot of clubs that have went down at the expense of Everton will probably feel aggrieved that they've illegally stayed in the top flight. So I think a 10-point deduction is a pretty fair assessment. Um, and also I think there's a season where I think they could potentially stay up, um, re regardless, because I think the bottom three clubs that were promoted um, are literally... Um, 
so I think that's probably the weakest that we've seen for a long time in English Premier League. Um, and like you say, Everton before the ten point deduction have been pretty good form, sitting in mid table. So I think on the pitch, I think they'll have enough to stay out of relegation. Um, but um, it just it, it remains to be seen what happens with obviously Man City, who've obviously got a hundred and I think it's one hundred fifteen charges. So um, they might be playing in the Conference League, <laughs> as in like, the English Conference League. So um, you never know if if it's a ten point deduction for one charge. We can only imagine what it's going to be for um 115 charges. And the fact is that that's been going on for four years uh, in terms of the, the building a case for that. Whereas, obviously, the Everton was only eight months, an eight-month hearing. So it was pretty pretty quick. And I think Everton fans will feel aggrieved. But I think it's probably the fair decision in the end. Yeah, I mean, I agree with your kind of reason that if you break the rules, you broke the rules. And... You know, it does look like Everton have got rules and that kind of means that, you know, things like a point deduction are going to happen. But um, my biggest thing with this kind of situation is the fact that I think you briefly just touched on it there, is that Man City were charged with breaking rules before Everton. But yeah, Everton have already had their decision kind of ruled for them. They've got a point deduction. Um, but for Man City, that case is still ongoing. And, you know, you know, there's been no result as to what's going to happen to them. And so I just think, you know, there's some questions to be answered there from the Everton fans, rightly so, that how come Everton have been charged and kind of convicted basically quicker than Man City. And where um, Chelsea has spent a lot of money. Uh, over the last two years, especially. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if in the next year or so that they're going to get the Premier League will be maybe charging them, we don't know. But um, it is kind of a lesson as well to clubs around, you know, the world, basically, that you've got to really be careful with, um, you know, balancing the books and such and um, kind of being honest with uh, the results that you've, you're, you're given. And also being really careful with your money in terms of spending it, because as we as we know that as you said, Everton were paying lots of players big wages. They were spending a lot of money, and and you know, and this is where it's got to, this is where it's got from. So, um, you know, there's lessons, a lot of lessons to be learned there for uh, a lot of clubs. Um, so yeah, um, you know, we'll 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 see how Everton kind of react to it because. You know, that's them now back in the relegation zone. So they'll want to uh, kind of get out of that quickly. But I'm sure, they, I'm sure they've got enough to do it. Um, you know, but we'll, we'll wait and see. Um, so uh, we'll now move on to the latest news in the Scottish Premier League. So again, there's no matches played. But there was kind of a little bit of big news from Ross County. Uh, they appointed um, Derek Adams as a new man after Malcolm McKay got sacked. So Derek Adams returns to Ross County for the third time. Um, you know, he started off his career at Ross County as a manager. Um, so, uh, yep, so Derek Adams is now back in uh, Scottish football uh, after leaving Wokham. So what do you think about that, Pierce? Do you think that's a good, bad appointment? What do you think? 
Uh, for me, it doesn't really excite me, to be honest. Um, I think you you don't usually go back to a club that you've been at before, and the fact is it's now his third stint at Ross County. Um, I think, obviously, he might have motivations for, for going back to Ross County, maybe to build up his um, portfolio again. Um, but I think he's been a manager that's kind of had a decent pedigree in terms of down south in England, um, lead two, lead one championship clubs. Um, but if if you can get Ross County firing all cylinders, because I think they have got a good, a good nucleus of a squad there, um, you look at the back line, um, it's pretty decent. We, I think it's like, uh, we got a decent goalkeeper in Ross Laidlaw and a, a decent centre halves, and then you've got the midfield of I think uh, Danda. You and Danda is a good quality set piece taker, and then obviously a big Jordan White up front, Eamon Brophy, Simon Murray. So I think they've got a good core of a squad there, and I think they just need the right man to steal them. Um, I thought Malik Kev was doing the right, was doing a good job, but. This, this business is cutthroat and you don't get given the time that you required and especially with the St. Johnson at dismissal of obviously Stephen McLean and then the upturning results in the interim manager um, that's probably made them have that decision. I think Derek Adams they probably went with someone they know someone they can trust. He knows the club inside out like you touched on. He started his career at Ross County as a manager and this is now his third spell so I think for the fans it'll probably appease them Knows the club inside out, and um, hopefully can get them ticking on all cylinders. Yeah, um, you know I think it's to be honest, I actually think it's quite a good smart appointment. Um, you know if you're going to get rid of Malcolm McKay, who in my opinion I think was doing a really good job, you know you're kind of going to have to get someone that's, if you know, kind of on his level or even better. Um, so for Ross County to go for Derek Adams, I think it's pretty smart because he knows the, he knows the club. Um, you know, he did a pretty good job at Ross County um, back when he was the Ross County manager. Um, so, yeah, he knows the club. Um, and in terms of his um, kind of managerial record, Derek Adams, I think it's really solid. You know, he got Plymouth, Argyle promoted to League One. He got Morecambe to promote to League One. And I think Morecambe had the lowest budget in the whole of English football. So the fact he got them promoted to League One is... is so so impressive it really is, um. So no, I think it's I think it's a pretty good appointment. Um, you know, Ross County are kind of down there at the moment. You know, they really do need results, and the fact Derek Adams, you know, he knows the Scottish game as well. So you know, it's not as if he's coming in he doesn't un- understand what it takes to win matches in this country. So um, yeah, I think Ross County will be fine to be honest with you. Now that they've got Derek Adams in as manager, um, you know and they'll really want to push on now with um, him in charge and kind of start getting results straight away because they are in a little bit of trouble at the moment down there at the table. Um, so we'll now move on to uh, Piers discussing all the latest Asian football news. Yeah, so similar to the SBO and the, the English Premier League, there was no um, G League 1 or K League 1 action, so there was obviously two um, Asian AFC uh, qualifiers for World Cup campaign. Um, so we're going to start off with the Japan results. So on Thursday, November the 16th, uh, we had Japan versus Myanmar, and that finished Japan 5, Myanmar 0. Um, so Ayesi Ayuda um, got a hat-trick 
Daisy Kamada and Richard Doan got uh, rounded off to scoring. So Ada was a standout performer in that match. He got a hat-trick and um, he looked really sharp. A variety of different goals. And Japan are just com continuing that impressive form that they're showing at the moment. And then they followed up on Tuesday um, the second qualifier away to Syria. And they won that match 5-0 also. So to, to score 10 goals in two games was really, really impressive. And um, so the goal scores in that match were Kubo. We won Ueda with a double. And then Sugawara and then Osaya, who is recently called up from Kawashia Racer, which is their team fighting relegation in G League 1. So uh, in his first start, his first game, uh, it's a goal, which is uh, really impressive. And then the man match in that match was uh, Junior Ito, who's another really impressive winger. And the place of Stan Rhymes and Ligun, who I think is a really impressive player um, in major competitions. And Japan have so much attacking talent in our front line and across the midfield. Um, so Japan, statistically, the last eight games, they've eight wins, 34 goals scored, only five conceded, and they're now averaging 4.25 goals per game, which I think is a thoroughly impressive record. And I think they're going to be um, one of the dark horses at potentially the next World Cup. Um, so in terms of South Korea, uh, they also played on Thursday, um, 16th of November. So they played Singapore, uh, and that finished 5-0 to South Korea. Um, so with Cho Sung scoring, Wang Yi-chan, Son Heung-ming, Huang Ujo, and Lee Kang-in. And the standout performer that match was Lee Kang-in. He was just a creative force, and he had two, two or three assists in the match. Um and he just he just looked the architect. He just passed left right centre, dinking past players as if he's like a young Lionel Messi. Um and obviously I've got a match report on the Football Trig website, so you can go check that out. And then they followed up on Tuesday, twenty first of November, with their way to China, um, which was a really thrilling encounter, which um they managed to win three 0 So another impressive showing from South Korea. Um Son with a double and then um, centre-back Jung with a, a goal at the end. And uh, for me, the standout was uh, Son. He just um, so lethal in the air and um, just so quick on both feet and um, just drifting out and out of games and just shows that world-class ability that he has. So similar to South Korea, um, to, to Japan. So the last five games for South Korea, they've got five wins, 19 goals, zero goals conceded. And they're averaging 3.8 goals per game, which I think is a phenomenal record. So I think Japan and South Korea are hitting form at the right time, um, getting to the Asian Games, which start in January. Um, and for me, they've got to be the two favourites for that. And for me, it's, it's getting an impressive start now. It's a poor start for young Klinsman and his tenure as the South Korean manager, but um, he's starting to turn it around now. Because um, I think it was like the first four or five matches he didn't have a victory. Now he's got four in a row. Um, uh, sorry, five in a row. So, um, getting really impressive now for um Jurgen Klinsmann. So, in terms of other um Asian Asian football news, so Huang Ujo, who was a goal scorer and um during the international break, is um is being investigated by the police, um last weekend as a suspect of on charges of secretly filming himself having sex. He denies the charges and is currently under police investigation. So Butchin FC and the K-League 2 um, have decided to designate a seating area where the tickets can only be purchased on-site for digitally excluded elders who do not know how to purchase tickets online 
and I think it's fantastic new fantastic move by the club as they're um expanding their um target audience. Uh, so Kim and Jay was the victim of a uh, a robbery while he was moving in his new home in Munich. Um, a thief stole Kim's rice cooker after the player left the item outside. Um, to bring in another box, Kim values the original device from his homeland and had to wait until his agent, Di Hong, brought him a new one from uh, South Korea. So Venezia, um, have teamed up with South Korean clothing brand Nivelcrack to offer South Koreans the chance to own one-of-a-kind items. Venezia's kits are always sought-after items, and I'm sure the streetwear collaboration will be no different. Um, they have dropped a beanie, sweatshirt, and my personal favourite, a tracksuit, which is just outstanding because it's got the black and the gold um, with, uh, trim with the orange is going through it as well, so I think it's really nice streetwear, and I think um, it will sell out pretty quickly. Um, for years, for four years, Wang Yi Chan has been donating to low-income families in Butchon, where he visited during the, the recent international break. His donations have helped to provide housing for those on the verge of eviction. The Wolf Star has generously donated £31,000 um, to low-income families in Butchon, South Korea, taking his donation uh, donated figure to £130,000 um, since he started giving back in 2020. With the aid of Wang's donations, temporary housing will be provided free of charge for up to six months to households that are on the verge of eviction due to debt or have suffered from Jonsei fraud. So Jonsei fraud is a rising crime in Korea at the moment, where landlords refuse to return large cash deposits to their tenants. So Hwang said this, Thank you so much for the hospitality. Um, Butchon is the most comfortable place for me because I have been staying here since my childhood. And the Butchon mayor added, The love of Butchon shown by a Wangi Chan is the pride and hope of citizens. The donation has become a warm gift like the first snow that came down today. And lastly, um, current AFC Champions League holders, um, Uwarede Diamonds, have announced that the current manager, Misia Skorza, um, will be depart from the team at the end of the 2023 uh, Miji Yasudo J League One season. The Polish born manager led Uwarede Diamonds to their, first, to their third AFC Champions League title. Um, and guided them into the race for the G League 1 title until week 32 where they dropped off out of the race. Short news and I'm sure we will see success for announced shortly. Watch this space and you'll get all the latest Asian football news here on Football Tube. Thank you Pierce and thank you everyone for listening to this episode of the Football Tribute podcast. This podcast will be available to listen to on the Football Tribute YouTube channel and also the Football Tribute website. Thanks for listening and see you soon. Bye-bye.